Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Uh, the gentleman I'm about to interview is somebody I just want to be like him. I want to have as many years with a kidney as he does. And uh, uh, George Franklin III is the president of the Transplant Quarter Century Club. And he has had his kidney. Drum roll, please, Ian. This needs a drum roll. 45 years. Is that just amazing? And uh, welcome to the show, George. I am so pleased to be speaking with you. Well, thank you very, very much, Lorraine. And it has been a pleasure, a true pleasure to finally make this show. This is a big time show. Oh, it's like Kidney Talk. Is uh, I guess so. Kidney Talk. You know what's interesting, George, is I've been doing this podcast since 2006. Mm-hmm. I mean, 15 years. I mean, and now podcasts are popular, but uh, they weren't popular 15 years ago, even though I knew um, uh, it was a new, it was a great way to communicate patient stories and information to people. Um, Well, tell us a little bit about, you know, you have another show that we did with you many years ago, but give everybody the um, elevator speech on your story. Well, I started Hemo. Back in 1972, just after high school graduation, um, I had planned to go into the military, and my sister was going to get married in October of that year, so I said, well, I'll wait and so I can attend the, the wedding, and uh, she's my only sister, and we ended up in the hospital. Um, I missed the wedding, <laughs> and... That's when they discovered that I had end-stage renal disease, that I was only born with one kidney, and that one kidney was shutting down. We tried, uh, and this will take you back, we tried, uh, what was it called? Um, Oh, my goodness. Uh, When they stuck the The peritoneal. uh, peritoneal. Peritoneal. (laughs) Yeah, great, big, huge, gallon Oh, I remember that thing. They called it Big Broke Bertha, or it was so big that um, it it was about three feet. But it looked like a pallet, a pallet yeah, sitting next to yeah. you. Yeah. And I mean, granted, advancements have happened in the dialysis world as far as the equipment and all. But I personally think that in forty-five years. We should have had a wearable kidney. We should have had some sort of artificial kidney. We should have something more than a machine that you still have to go to three times a week. Well, I agree with you. We just did an interview on a wearable kidney that's either going to be posted or been posted. I don't know the lineup of this show. But it's it's true. But, you know, one of the things that I heard at a conference one time was that, you know, the birth of really medical care was really in the 60s. And the fact, you know, they did other things, but that's when it really took off. Uh-huh. And to think that dialysis was available then is maybe it was a little ahead of its time. 
And um, I think that, you know, we're learning more about it. And, and definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of different countries, people can, you know, blame it on, oh, well, the US healthcare system and dialysis. Well, you know, the whole world has the opportunity to create something. And the big issue with wearable kidneys, which people just this is the hardest issue is you have to heparinize people right and then they fall and hit their head and die uh-huh. and so that's the big that's the big problem with i mean this is just one of them but that's one of the barriers they're trying to work through um but let's hope let's hope <laughs> yes <laughs> so how well, was your kidney I, I, to- uh, oh go ahead i was saying that um yeah, I, I was on hemodialysis in center. There was no such thing as home dialysis in 1972 uh, that I'm aware of, at least. And uh, I dialyzed at the George Washington University Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And uh, as, as an 18-year-old, um, also there, we had a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And uh, sadly, I've lost contact with all of them. I don't know where any of them are, but um, I was fortunate to get a kidney in April of 1975, a deceased donor kidney. Um, Sadly, it had to be taken right out uh, a couple weeks, three weeks later. And so six months later, I I got the, the beef again since... Uh, back then, we all had pagers. Exactly. And, uh, we yeah, there was, and there wasn't was a long before. list. That's what people don't get. They're like, how did you get some? I'm like, there wasn't a long list because the medications weren't all that fun. No, there, there, I would say there were no lists because in '75, I predate most OPOs in this country. Right. So they, the hospital may have maintained a list or something like that, but I know whenever a kidney became available, everybody got called in. They, you know, they, they still had to run tests on everyone to make sure that you were non-reactive. So, uh, but November 1975, November 4th, I got my second kidney, and it's been 45 years and seven months now. <laughs> I would count that, every that, day, uh, too. <laughs> yeah. So I've been very fortunate. Um, I've, I've had open heart surgery. I've had gallbladder removed. I had to have emergency liver surgery when the surgeon nicked the liver, taking out the gallbladder. <laughs> Owie. Uh, but I'm still here. You're still here. And what's your creatinine? We, we, have, to, we have to compare creatinines. That's one of well, my rules with fellow transplant patients. Mine actually is rather high because uh, about three years ago, uh, something attacked the kidney and destroyed half of its functionality. So my creatinine runs around two, uh, 2.1 or 2, something like that. It okay. used to be. Uh, 0.7 or 0.8 for 40 years. Wow. <laughs> and then the, uh, something attacked it. They never found out what, some bacteria or something. And, and uh, next thing you know, I'm in the hospital having my first ever uh, kidney biopsy. And that's when they found that it, whatever the problem was, it was irreversible. And uh, so for the last... Uh, I want to say uh, four years, I've been living on about 30, uh, 35 uh, GFR. Well, and that's uh, it. Where it was, used to be 80 wait. <laughs> for a long time, 70, 75, 80. 
Well, I just have to say this out loud. My creatinine is 0.6. Oh, um, my But, you know, when I had my third transplant, George, uh, I came out of the hospital with a 2.2 creatinine. Uh-huh. And I kept that kidney for 20 years at a 2.2 creatinine. So, Barbara, I don't know if that provides some hope, but I sure hope I, so. I have to, have to mention my best friend, Barbara Witt. She's our club vice president. And she has told me I am going to get 50 years out of this kid. Oh, let's go for 70 or 80. Let's go for the world record. There you go. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's told me that she was running a, a high creatinine, two point something, for years. And um, she's had two kidneys. Uh, she had her father's kidney for, I think, 36 years. And she got another kidney uh, she's had for 10 or 11 years. So she's up there as well. Yep. But she told me that, you know, she had that creatinine and she said, so don't, don't worry. It's don't worry. Yeah. Well, and you know, the thing is, is that if, um, if you're, if you're creatinine stable and you have no disease state attacking your kidney, um, it can maintain, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, quarter century club. Okay. Tell us a little bit about, you know, that and why you decided to start it. Okay. Well, started the Quarter Century Club because I found that we long-termers have special problems and special needs, and and we also want to know if other people have these same issues. Uh, we may have uh, a larger uh, sense of, uh, of of skin cancers and so forth. You know, someone that's had the transplant for five or six years may not have experienced it, but someone that's had it for 26 years has. So I went online one day and asked, did anyone have their transplant over 25 years or whatever? And and uh, one of the people that replied was Barbara Witt. And so collectively, we started the Quarter Century Club. Now, we looked at other names. We looked at the geezers. <laughs> we looked at the experimentalists or whatever it was we were going to name the, the guinea pigs, the guinea pigs, <laughs> because that's what we felt we were right. back in the early 70s. You know, transplantation was a new thing. I know. I know. I, it's, uh, it was not for the faint of heart. You had no, to take so not. many steroids. You could, you, yeah. you, you never felt like you ever were full i mean it was right. it was and you know you look i look like a string uh, with a balloon my head was so swollen <laughs> but that's okay we're it's, breathing but we're, but the, you but you're right there were it was all new it was all and new. uh that's why we predate you know some of the opos i mean they all came around in the in the mid-70s but still uh we were already transplanted uh, Washington didn't have one. Washington, D.C. didn't have one at the time. Uh, there were no lists. Now we've got 120,000 people on one. Right, but, exactly. Um, so we, we, we have our, we communicate with each other our own set of issues of, of longevity, because longevity has its issues. You know, right. the longer we, we keep our transplant, the, the more issues we seem to have. Uh, you know, you get to transplant at 25 or 30, you're still young. But at 70, you're, you still have your kidney. You've got 
old age issues and arthritis kicking in and <laughs> in addition to the issues that you might have with right. your transplant. Well, and it's so interesting because uh, I have some pulmonary issues. I had a bad reaction to macrobid. And um, I found that some other patients have a lot of pulmonary issues. And just because, you know, you start to talk about it and you're like, oh, my goodness, a lot of patients I know have pulmonary issues. And, you know, is that something that needs to be looked at? Because, um, you know, you compensate and compensate and you don't know the chronicity of the illness. Well, is this because I'm anemic? I'm, I'm having some pulmonary issues or is this because of something else? And I think if we share our story and there's enough of us, we, we start to see a pattern. <laughs> and, and that's what we do a lot of at the Quarter Central Club. We, we share stories. We exactly. find out that, uh, oh, you've had this problem too? <laughs> oh, my God, it's been 10 years. I've been having, but you wouldn't know that if you didn't have club members that had, had transplants as long as you have. Exactly. One friend or one old friend can make a difference, right? <laughs> yeah. And we've, 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 we've found uh, a, a few of our members had their transplants at just a few months old. And now they've had their heart transplants for, say, 26, 27, 28 years. And that gives hope to a lot of people. When, when Bill Ryan, I went to him uh, with and the transplant games. Bill Ryan, he runs the transplant games, correct? Yes, yes he run, he's, he's the chair. And T.J. Masiak was the gentleman that would not let them die when the other organization dropped them. So... And, and we're grateful because it, they, they needed to be just as much as your organization absolutely has to be. And when, when Bill Ryan agreed that the Quarter Century Club could march in, the other organization never would let us. But right. our marching in at the games shows people what transplantation can present. Right. Longevity. Right. When you say, don't take your organs to heaven. Heaven knows we need them here. Yes, we do. And, and uh, the different other sayings on the magnets that I have on my door and everything, but, but people don't realize that when you donate life, you really can donate life. Right. This life can go on for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. We have members in our club, Lori, that are over 50 years with their kidney transplants. Wow. That's just amazing. It's just, yeah. it's just so awesome. Now, recently you wrote a story for a book called uh, Because of Organ Donation that was written by uh, Brenda Cortez. I mean, I, she compiled the stories, correct? Yeah, correct. So, so how did that come about? And I've seen the book has been doing pretty well. Yes, it has. It's actually number one on the... Uh, Amazon.com, uh, it was a bestseller. I'm not sure where it stands now, but it certainly was a few weeks ago. And um, we're still sending them out, and the, the book is, is doing very well. And each chapter, the 25 chapters, 25 different authors, different writers, and each telling their story. And this includes living donors, family members of deceased donors, uh, obviously recipients, and, and uh, I think there's one or two uh, authors that are on dialysis. 
And because we're all one family. Right. Transplanted out, we, we still, for us to be, have a transplant, most of us, the vast majority were on dialysis. Right. You know, we didn't just walk into a kidney. Now, some have, and I know a couple that have, a few, quite a few, that, that were able to go and get a preemptive transplant. Congratulations, and I'm very happy for you. But the majority of people come off of dialysis. Right. And just course, don't have the luxury. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because kidneys are so much different than other organs because other organs, you have to become really sick to get them. Yes. And, you know, you have to be on death's doorstep to get a liver. And then it's it's different with kidneys is you got to be healthy and, you know, fit and stuff like that to get a kidney. So um, it's a much different ball game if you're waiting for another organ. You almost have to die to live. Right. It's it's quite the opposite with the kidney, like you said. It's it's with heart, liver, lung. You you're on death's door. Right, and I know uh, it's nobody likes dialysis, but uh, luckily, if you're going to have an organ fail, at least um, <laughs> at least there's life support. Um, right. Right. To, to get you through the day. So you know, I'm really curious. What advice can you give to people that? you know, or getting transplanted, the holy grail of transplant for 45 years, what are things are must, you must do them? Ooh. One, I think that once you get your, well, certain things, you're, you're right, that you, abso- you absolutely have to take your medication. Right. Take it as prescribed. Your hair falls out by a damn wig. Ooh. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine fell out, but mine came back. Yours may, I don't know. Some people just, you know, that was their natural course. Right. <laughs> you, I mean, we, we, we understand we're going, to lose, we're going to gain weight. We're going to have acne. Some of us have lost our hair. We may have other issues to come up that are much more serious than hair loss and weight gain. Uh, skin cancers and all these different things. But if I had all of them, I would still rather have the transplant. Right. So you take care of it. You take your medicine. If you've got a kidney transplant, you hydrate properly. You, you must enjoy life. Right. And that's something that I've learned. You, you didn't get the transplant to sit at home. Well, and I don't know if you hear this sometimes from patients, but I hear like, oh, I've had a fever for three days. You know, you go to ER as soon as your fever is a certain, or you call your doctor as soon, right. and you should ask your doctor, what is that temperature You, I should call you about? Because, you know, right. transplant patients, uh, you can have an infection and you can have a very low-grade fever because the immunosuppressant uh, mask it. Um, uh, you know, so it's, it's interesting. You just can't wait to deal with things. If you see a spot on your skin or something, you need to see a dermatologist. You can't wait with those things. Um, You've got to be an advocate for yourself. And if for some reason you can't, you find someone that can be your advocate. Exactly. So they can tell you. What do you mean you've been homesick for three days and you haven't called your doctor? Well, it's just a little sniffle. No, it isn't just a little sniffle. We've got other issues. We're on steroids. We're on powerful drugs. Right. And these very same drugs are are preventing us from developing antibodies 
to this COVID thing. Exactly. I know. I just got my antibody test zero. <laughs> Mine too. I know. Mine too. Dang. And then I, 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 I will make sure I send you this. Uh, a friend of mine sent it to me this morning uh, saying that uh, particularly older <laughs> particularly older recipients and people that have had the transplant for long periods of time. Oh, are the ones that aren't making the antibodies. Yeah. Well, yeah. they are especially not making their antibodies. Right. Well, we just trained our body not to react to anything. That's why. Right. I mean, I mean, our body's like, well, we're not going to notice anything. You can come in and camp out or whatever. We're not talking <laughs> to you at all. And, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, George, we need to figure out how we could sell this to somebody. Like, what is, you know, I'm just kidding. But um, I know it's extremely frustrating because um, uh, I just been told, well, just pretend you haven't been vaccinated. That's really what, how you have to how you have to live your life right now is right. Um, uh, you have to be very careful. Um, luckily, people who have gotten COVID that are transplanted survive. So it's not an automatic, you know, gravedigger scenario. But, um, you know, I'm not going to actively look for it. Right. Well, I have done all that I can do to to stay away and stay alive. You know, um, I still don't go into uh, restaurants. I will eat outdoors. Right. Uh, you know, in the sun and enjoy the weather, but I will not eat inside of a restaurant yet. And um, I well, did visit my mom in the hospital uh, this past Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, but I, I wore two masks to just try to ensure her safety. Right, and your safety, because the hospital isn't a great place to be in. Um, oh my goodness, it's probably the worst place to be <laughs> Well, but... And, you know, what's really interesting about what you said about eating indoors um, during the winter, um, you know, they were saying you have to eat. I'm like, how do you eat outdoors in New York? I mean, how do you? <laughs> you don't, right? I mean, I'm in right. sunny Southern California, so we can eat outdoors. But you right. guys couldn't eat out at all, right? Because it's too cold. Too cold, too snowy, too windy. But the few days I live here in the western part of Maryland in the mountains and the few days that we had have had, I'll say, uh, this year, the outside areas around the restaurants have just been packed because people have been, you know, stored in the house for the last right. year. And now they're able to come out and the weather is much nicer now than it was, say, two months ago. And um, so they're, they're eating out. But um, we as, uh, as transplant recipients, particularly, we take medicine so that our body will not develop antibodies, and that's that's causing you know us problems. I I I'd wish that the designers of those drugs had taken us into account when they were designing it, because it's not just us; it's anybody. Else. Well, I think they're working on it. I mean, there it's you know I think the idea was is that let's go after the general population, and there are a lot of groups like you know Johns Hopkins, different people trying to figure out if we're going to need, you know, two, one, two, three, four booster shots, or right. what? What are we going to need to to get past this? I mean, the real benefit um, of the vaccine for us is if everybody else gets vaccinated. 
vaccinated, then we're more likely just to kill the virus. The virus right. won't live any longer. That would be the ideal scenario. Um, but uh, in, in the meantime, we're so lucky that we have Zoom and all these different things to connect. Isn't that interesting how that evolved? It's amazing because uh, one day a new uh, a type of communication is barely known, and then two weeks later, two months later, it's all, I wish I'd bought stock <laughs> because now everyone is using Zoom or FaceTime or some type of video uh, uh, communication system. We, we used it uh, to view uh, my mom, for instance, at the nursing home because we couldn't go in for uh, from March until uh, July. And even in July, they were having outdoor meetings, not inside the building. Right. So, so that was uh, very handy, very convenient, very convenient. Technology is something else. It's something and else, and I like mean, that just blow up. You know, they really take off. Well, and I have a little bit of a confession, George. Zoom has really helped my life because I don't move as fast as I used to, and it's really nice to just go sit in front of the screen instead of having to fly somewhere for a couple hour meeting. And, you know, uh, and, and it's accomplished on Zoom. Although I miss the interaction with people, uh, you know, I do find it's a better use of time for some things that could be done. So I think that's one of the benefits. Um, I agree. <laughs> and I think it's here bad to say. weather, you know, bad weather, rain, snow and all, but yet you can uh, put on a nice shirt <laughs> and still be in your pajamas. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you know my secret? Oh, no. <laughs> Exactly. I have my I have my dogs. It's so funny. I have like a little I um little concealer right by my desk and stuff. Like, oh, okay, I got to be camera ready in ten minutes. So what can I do? Um, <laughs> but it's definitely uh, you know, I think um also the benefit is is you know a lot of our healthcare is just so lab drawn and that you know, that we can potentially see our doctor uh, via Zoom or FaceTime telemedicine is, I think, a benefit because, I mean, I've went to the doctors a couple hours and I actually feel sometimes I get more accomplished on the on the, on the uh, 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 telemedicine call because um, I can have everything in front of me and, you know, I'm not stressed from sitting in the lobby too long <laughs> and, uh-huh. like, pissed off, like you know, like... You know, just the different things that, you know, can be irritating at times. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's very challenging. So I wanted to uh, just circle back a little bit and say, what do you think has been, in, in your opinion, in the last 45 years, what has been the biggest change in kidney transplant that you've experienced? Has your medicine changed? W- tell us a little bit about that. Well, I would say, uh, well, first, my medicine only changed last November, uh, just a day or two, I think, before my 45th anniversary, um, because I had gout so bad. So my doctor took me off of the medicine that had carried me for 40, almost 45 years, and put me on the new stuff whose name I couldn't even pronounce. Mycophenolate, tacrolimus. Yes. <laughs> and I go by Celsep because it's easier to say. Yeah. The mycophenolate is a generic term. Yes. And that's, Has your and, hair and grown five back? Mils of, uh, I'm five kidding. mils of prednisone a day and that's it. Oh, wow, that's pretty amazing. Now, for 
again, for 40, 40 might as well say 45 years, uh, I was on the 5 milligrams of prednisone plus 100 of azathioprine, of Imuran. Right. And that worked well. The, the thing is, with back in the day, the, the, the matching had to be point on, had to be spot on. Well, because the, the only medicine they had was azathioprine and prednisone. Well, and now you've got a uh, you get so much, so many different medicines. Oh, so many different ways you can go. You know, if this doesn't work for you, then we got this one. That one doesn't work. We got we can go over here. We got rapamune. We got uh, Celsep. We have uh, a neoral uh, cyclosporin, and so right. we've got you know different different things we can try. Different tools in the toolbox. Well, yeah. and, and back then too, what was you know what we we walk uphill both ways. They didn't understand the match as well. And obviously, if you had a six antigen match kidney, you did pretty well. But if you were below that, they didn't understand the antibodies. Right. And right. and now they're more concerned about the antibodies than the match. And and now we're learning more about antibodies with COVID. Um, and, and you know, HIV brought a lot of light to um, immune systems that have all helped play a role in, you know, us being successful. But I remember Imuran. I took that for a long time and prednisone. And, and it was, I was getting some gynecological cancers from the Imuran. And uh-huh. they're like, we got to stop that. And then they put me on a new one. And so uh, it was, uh, it's a medical practice, George. You know, they're practicing on us. That's what everybody has to remember. And as you know, um, you know, the more knowledgeable you are, the better your chances of or navigate, navigating the system and being successful. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, have they done a donor-specific antibody test on you? No, uh, not to my knowledge, anyway. Well, that's kind of the new thing that's very exciting to me is because, um, and not all places are doing it yet, but uh, um, basically what it is, a lot of companies are doing them. I mean, we're going to have some speakers at our Hope Week in in October talking about it, but uh, it's a blood test and they can tell if you have any DNA other than your kidney, than your own DNA in your bloodstream against your kidney. And it's a better, it shows if you do have DNA of your donor, um, and I don't know if it works for, I mean, I don't know exactly the mechanism, but they were able to do it on me, then they can treat you before your creatinine moves. Or they can do, um, or they, uh, in, in a lot of cases, a lot of the centers are doing this test. And then if you do have a, some DNA in your bloodstream, they'll then send you for biopsy. But what's good in, about it is before they just want to send everybody to biopsy. And now they have this test so they can um, rule that out, um, which is very encouraging because uh, biopsies are not something that, you know, you should take lightly. They're needed, but, you know, they're sticking a needle in your kidney. So um, it's better to do the non-invasive test first. Yeah. I, I had my first biopsy in, I believe, 2017 at the Georgetown University Hospital in D.C. I'd never been to Georgetown Hospital. My, my life revolved around George Washington. But um, <laughs> Just another George. I was terrified. It's terrifying. They actually tried to do a kidney biopsy on me. And I said, you know, um, because I, it's my fourth transplant. And... Uh, 
you know, they did an inner abdominal transplant on me because I'm little and I've had so many surgeries from catheters to kidneys to everything in my stomach. And uh, so when they put the kidney in, um, they said, you know, the kidney's very deep. And so when they wanted to do the biopsy, I'm like, I'm like, the kidney's very deep. And they're like, it's okay, we'll do the biopsy. And anyways, when they got in there, I was after all the stress and, you know, getting in there, like, the kidney's too deep. We can't do a biopsy. And I'm like, oh, I was like, I was actually relieved. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but you told them that. I you told know? them that. I said, the surgeon told me it was too deep, the kidney. And so they were worried they'd nick another organ or something. And so I had an inner abdominal transplant, which is what they do on babies. Um, and uh, it worked. It's been ten years. I'm very grateful. But um, I know you 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 try to educate the doctors as much as you can, and most of the time they listen to me. On this case, they I don't think they believed how deep the kidney really was. Like, oh yeah, it's deep, but it's not that deep. <laughs> but I'm a really deep person. Okay, that's why. <laughs> now, how long have you had all total functioning kidneys? Um, 30, 30, 30 years. And why don't we have you in our club? I guess I just need to just to send me the paperwork. I'll, I'll join. I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> it must have been an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for a while, we were just, uh, I'll say a one kidney club. And I was able to convince my, my vice president that we needed to do cumulative because so many people were not making it to 25. Most, most uh, nephrologists, we'd asked our club members, everyone asked your nephrologist, uh, is the norm a 25 or 30 year term? And all of them were saying, oh, if you get to 25, you're special. Right. You know, most, most transplants, kidneys. Uh, were were lasting 10, 15, 20 years. So, yes, you know, it's if if you've had a kidney over 25 years, I mean, a lot of people who are who are transplanted, you know, they get transplanted in their 50s and 60s. And so, I mean, you know, the lifespan isn't always that. So right. uh, I think it was a very smart move on your part because um, uh, I like uh, a lot of times people tell me like, well, you're not on dialysis. So you I'm like, there's not a pill that made me forget it. I mean, right. you know, I mean, <laughs> like, like just because I'm not on dialysis doesn't mean I don't remember it. And can be an advocate for it. Because I go into some man, they're like, you have to be a current dialysis patient. And I'm like, really? I'm like, where is that written? Well, <laughs> let's not go there. But, right. um, but it's interesting to me because it's like, you know, at patients who are advocates get transplanted. You know, we have kidney disease and we're, we we transfer from one stage to the other and that's that's how our life's going to be. So, um, well, George, I'm so glad to, to, to chit-chat with you in 45 years. Drum roll, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, of the Transplant Quarter Century Club. And we also have another podcast that's on this um, that we'll put a link on our page if you want to hear more, um, more wonderful stories from George. And I say, you know, let's go for 100 years. For this kidney. Wow. Okay, let's just go for 100 years. You know, I wish, uh, I, I don't think they can, but wouldn't it be something if they could take a transplanted kidney and retransplant it after it's done 50 or 60 years? 
<laughs> because we have plenty of people in this country that live to be 90 and 100 and, uh, and do quite well. You know, their organs are functioning quite well. Right. I know. I mean, they they got to get creative, and they're getting a little bit more creative now with taking extended criteria yeah. kidneys, and you know, and then who knows? Maybe they'll be growing our kidneys in the backyard in the garden. I don't know. Well, it's, it'll be something, you know. Um, we just gotta we just gotta believe it will happen and see it, and then then let's make it happen. So yeah. Well, George, it's been wonderful to speak with you, and keep up the good work. I mean, I have to say this to a fellow. Trans- my patient pee all you can pee absolutely thanks for listening to kidney talk a program of renal support network please make sure to find us on facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org kidney talk is intended for informational purposes only it is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment from your physician always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition